This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. The first week we talked about what kind of disciple are you, right? And there's five different kinds of disciples that we looked at in the New Testament. Who wants to tell me what the first type that we covered is was? The masses. Why are you whispering? The masses. How about the second one? The 70. How about the third? The 12. That's all right. Hey, no. Wrong answer is better than no answer. How about the fourth? The three. How about the fifth? The one. And the masses are the people that were just looking to get something from Jesus to benefit. The 70 got to see the power of God on a level that the, the multitudes didn't get to. The 12 were the inner circle, Jesus' inner circle, the ones that got to see more. The three got to see the transfiguration on the mountain, the, the, the full glory of God in Jesus while he was on earth. And then the one, of course, was two people we talked about. One, John the apostle, who was leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper, arguably the closest one to him. The other was who? Judas Iscariot the anti-apostle, anti-disciple. He was really in it for purely selfish, selfish motives. And we got to identify that. So hopefully you are able to identify what category you fall into as far as discipleship goes. And the second week, we talked about what it means to be a disciple. So once you've identified which category you're in, then we talked about what it means, what that looks like, some instruction, some application that you could give to your life. And then today's message, we're going to wrap it up with, the title is Grow Up. It's about maturing spiritually. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that it's required that a man or woman be born again to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. When your spiritual birth takes place, you begin as a baby. You begin young in what you believe. And it's important that as you follow Jesus, as you listen to what the word has to say, as you are discipled by him, by the word of God, that you grow up. Nobody really wants a baby to be a baby forever. We say that about our kids. Oh, I wish they'd be a baby forever. You're not serious. That would get annoying and frustrating. Could you, could you imagine a baby being a baby forever? No, it, it, it's necessary for us to grow up. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover three different areas of Scripture that talk about spiritual maturity. And then in the book of 2 Timothy, I have seven points for you that we're going to cover that Paul is instructing his disciple, Timothy. Timothy was a great man because his name was Timothy. I didn't know him personally, but his name was Timothy. And he was Paul's disciple. And Paul says, Timothy, 
2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul penned before his death. And he says, Timothy, these are the things that I want you to take away from our relationship, from your discipleship. Our first section of scripture that we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 28. So if you could turn there with me, please. It's where we begin once we've recognized what kind of disciple that we are. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for the calling that you've placed on our lives. Thank you for captivating us, capturing us how you pursued us, God. And and not only that, but in the future, your word to us is that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That you're going to continue to carry us. You're going to continue to reveal yourself to us. And, And God, what we want is we want to be your disciples. We want to identify the kind of disciple we are. We want to be those disciples that are the closest to you. And we pray that through these Bible studies that we would be provoked to press in. That, that we would be nearer to you than we've ever been. And that we would grow and mature spiritually through the teaching and application of your word. Thank you for that beautiful time of worship where we offer you the fruit of our lips, Father. For this time of Bible study where we can take your word and apply it to our lives. And then also, Lord, for the tithes and offerings. We pray, Lord, that it would be done not in compulsion or motivated in compulsion, but that it it would be done as an act of worship to you. We love you. Everything that we have, we have because you gave it to us. Bless your word, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, being a disciple is being a student, and being a student takes discipline. As you apply yourself You become a disciple, and now we have to move on to the next section. Not only have we identified ourselves as disciples, but now comes the next step in being a disciple. As a disciple, you are required to also make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus took these disciples of his who were going to become apostles and he, he, he allows them to spend three very intimate years together with him. And during that time, he's teaching them and training them, knowing that he's not going to be around forever. I mean, technically, yes. <laughs> but knowing that he's not going to be with them in the flesh to that capacity forever, but teaching them what they are going to need to do afterwards. And then after the fact, the last thing that he says to them before he goes into heaven, he says, now you go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We as Christians should be about discipleship more than we should be about 
programs, institutionalized religion, community groups. Those things are all fine, but we're not called to those things. We are called to be disciples and to make disciples, to be discipling. And this is the first step that you and I should take in pursuing a relationship with God, recognizing that we are disciples and start to branch over to that, you know, that, that next step. Discipling. Discipling? I had a sister in the Lord, a young sister in the Lord who was a brand new Christian. She got saved in university, started coming to church with us, baptized in my pool and in my backyard. And I was having a conversation with her one day and she said, you know, Pastor Tim, it's just that I'm so young and I know so little that that there's nobody that I can disciple. And I said, you knocked that off. You're never too young to disciple somebody else. And the thing that I would say, the biggest ministry plug that I give over and over and over again, is if you want to get involved at Paradise, you can go back there and serve in children's ministry. And you've got these little kids that you're sowing seeds into. What are you doing? You're discipling them. And don't you know that to be a discipler, you can even start to disciple non-believers? Huh? How is that possible? Well, they need to come to the faith. They need to understand what the gospel is. You can be pouring into their life and revealing to them the heart of God to where when they, be, when they get saved and make that commitment, John chapter 3, they become born again. They can start to grow up. And we want to be growing up. The second verse that I have for us to cover is in Ephesians if you'd like to flip there over to your right. Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. He's saying there's been people placed in the church, apostles, teachers, leaders, disciplers that are placed there for what purpose? For the edification of the body of Christ. You know, another word for edification is to build up. It's this picture of there's a building that started and, and it's being continually built up. How many of you are homeowners? You know, does it ever end? 
Does it ever stop? You start a project, you finish it, and it's the water heater goes out, the air conditioner goes out. Something always needs to be addressed if you ever were a homeowner. You have to keep investing in it. You have to keep building it up. Your faith is no different. You can't get lackadaisical and, and standoffish when it comes to the edification of your faith, the building up of your faith. Driving around in Europe, this is one thing that's very unique to Europe that's not so unique to here, but driving around in Europe, especially in the part of Croatia that we live, but all over Croatia, it, it, it's this interesting thing. 80% of the houses that you see that you drive by are unfinished. They've got the first level and, and it's stuccoed and painted and it's got a front door. And then you got the next level and it's just brick. And then you got the next level and it's starting to be built up with brick and they'll look like that for years. Do you know why? Because they don't take out mortgages and just build a house. What they do is they, they build the first floor and, and they save up their money. And then when they have enough money, they, they start to build the second floor. So when their kids get old enough, they can give their kids the second floor of, of their house and, and then the third and the fourth or, or what have you. But it's a continual process and sometimes it takes, it takes time. But here's the thing. It, it only profits the family if they keep building the house. If they stop building, it's not worth anything. Again, your faith looks the same way. God wants you to be submitted, discipled in the church so that these people that are called to pour into you are not just talking to you, having conversations with you, but are building you up. And, and maybe you can look and say, nobody's building me up. Okay, well, why don't you look around and find somebody else that feels that way and start building them up? It's not a bad idea, right? He says the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. This word perfect can also be translated complete. It's got this picture with this edification, this building up, perfection, completion. It's got this picture of, of the process that's happening. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know how easy it is to trick little kids? It's kind of fun. You know, <laughs> I trick my kids. We were talking about playing a trick on a friend of ours, and we didn't do it. We were gonna. Uh, we had a litter of puppies, and 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 a friend and I were talking about giving one of the puppies to our other friend Daniel Harder, if he's even watching online. And and we realized that that would be very cruel because we would give them the puppy. And it's a joke, and their kids would get all excited, and then we'd take the puppy away, and that would be kind of cruel. It's easy to trick kids, and there's some people out there, and this is sick and twisted, because I joke about it because I'm kidding. Like it's, I don't really like tricking kids, maybe a little bit, but not like on a very simple level. But there's people out there that, that, that manipulate children to get what they want. This is terrible. He says, if you continue to grow up, you're not going to remain a child forever. You're going to grow up in your faith and these winds of doctrine aren't going to come through and, and trick you into thinking something that's not true. 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Our motivation in discipleship whether it's towards us for us or it's us discipling somebody else, the, 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 the main point should always be out of love. You want somebody's benefit? You want somebody to be blessed? You want to build them up? The motivation should be love. So number one, we're sent to make disciples. Number two, the, the equipping of the church. And then this third one is a little bit stronger. It's in Hebrews you want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 5, it's over to the right in your Bible, a handful of pages. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving this, the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Remember, what, what's the other word that you can use for that? translation for perfection completion let us go on to completion perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward god let's pause right there for a minute because this is important this is the foundation of our faith it always goes back to the number one thing the way that you respond to the gospel is repentance and, and even a more important part of repentance and saying, God, I thought I was in control. I thought I, I was in charge. I wanted my will, but I understand now that your will is better for me. I understand that you want me to know who you are. So I repent from my mentality, from my thinking before, and I want to engage you and your will for my life. And notice it says repentance from dead works also. It's realizing the the. the Main word of the gospel is realizing that there's nothing that you can do to garner favor with God. There's nothing, there, all those works that you think you can do to, to gain his favor, there's nothing you can do. The, the very base of the foundation of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he paid that price. He made that commitment. He did that thing for you so you would have nothing else to do. By the grace of God, you've been saved by faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. You're saved by grace through faith. God says, I, I don't need anything that you have. People focus on sacrifice. God's like, I, I don't need your, your stuff. I don't want your stuff. I want you. And challenge me in this, if you'd like, every other world religion, I have not found one yet. Every other world religion, we've said it once and I'll say it a million more times, is works-based. 
They all say, this is what you have to do. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unique in that God says, I require nothing of you except to believe in my son who died for your sins. That's it. And then there's not a work that follows afterwards. There's a fruit that starts to develop and be born through your life from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You will do things and say things that are contrary to the flesh because you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. I have these, you know, these guys come to my door and, and God bless them with the truth, but they're, they're, they're peddling a, a different gospel. They're, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, or I had some of those Mother God people. Have you guys, don't talk to them. Have you guys even heard of the Mother God cult that's going around right now? It's pretty popular. Had them come to my door, and I don't even have to, I'm, I have my, I go and get my Bible, and I'm shaking because I'm frustrated with them. Now, understand what I'm about to say, okay? I'm shaking because they're ripping off the grace of God, and I say, I don't need to, I know what you believe. I just need you to hear this from me. And, and I hope that you do have ears to hear. You've submitted yourself under a yoke of bondage. These people are telling you that you have to do certain things. Your religion is works-based. And God said, I've taken the law away. It doesn't exist anymore. There's nothing that you have to do to garner favor with me. It's a gift through my son, Jesus Christ, of pure grace. And I said, you guys have submitted yourselves to a works-based message, and there's nothing that you can do to get God's attention. Trust me, we've tried. Look at history. God says, I will provide the way. I will provide the sacrifice. I'm tired of your your lighthearted sacrifices that you make. I'll give it to you. This is the gospel. He says, for this time, you guys ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Who's he talking to, guys? Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews. This is the book in the Bible that was written to the Jews who had received the Jewish Messiah, as they should, but they don't go on and grow spiritually because they're stuck back in this place where they're submitting themselves to works. Remember, isn't this the biggest problem that we have with those poor early, early age Jews is that they couldn't, they couldn't divorce themselves from their laws and traditions. And they weren't necessarily asked to, they were asked not to put that yoke or that burden on anybody else. But what does it say happened? It says that they remain babies. You know, it comes time for a baby to stop eating or drinking milk, right? Or to stop nursing. What's, what's that cutoff time? Well, it's different for all babies. 46 months. Just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. That was a bad joke from a movie, but I think first service got it a little bit more than he did. But anyway, um, whenever the baby's ready, it's a weaning process. And, and the, the, your teeth start coming in. They start cut teeth, so they need to eat food to help their teeth come in and whatnot. But there comes a time where you move on. There's no, God has zero intention for you to remain a baby forever. You know, what was with the fad? What was that, like 10 or 15 years? I don't even remember. Where, where teenagers and, and people in their 20s were walking around with pacifiers in their mouth. Do you guys remember that? 
What did you think? Like, as an, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody, okay? But what did you think when you saw that? How stupid can you be? You're a baby. You're not a baby. You're not. Imagine if there was a new fad. Maybe we should start so we could be cool kids. You start, you know, everybody has water bottles. Everybody carries around water. Let's carry around a bottle, like a regular bottle and, and, and drink it like that. You're, you're not a baby anymore. It's time to grow up. You need to move on from baby things and eat solid meat. And what does he say to them? He says, not only are you still babies drinking milk, but you should be teachers. You should come to a place where not only are you eating solid food, but that you're helping other people, that you're discipling other people, that you're helping other people grow up. And maybe this word is for somebody here this morning. I said it in the first service too. Maybe you're still drinking milk and you should be discipling other people. And why are you stuck there? Why are you stuck back on the elemental, simple, basic things when you should, I don't know, um, be volunteering in children's ministry? You just have a bad sense of humor. I, on the other hand, have a very good sense, but thank you. You know, teaching other people. Making disciples, equipping the church, being built up, edified, and then growing up. And then what we're going to do is we're going to flip over to 2 Timothy, um, which is an incredible book because he was an amazing person because his name was Timothy. And we're going to look at seven points, seven things that, that Paul instructs his disciple, you know? Like the guy that's been with him through thick and thin and Paul's at the end of his life. He says at the very end, I'm being poured out as a drink offering and this is it. And, and the, this is the last letter that he writ, wrote in the New Testament and, and it's him pouring out his heart to his, to his guy, to his man, to his disciple, Timothy. We'll go through, jump around to each one. Number one, Chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What did Paul just say? The first thing he says is, he says, stir up that gift, Timothy. It was given to you by God. You know, every single one of you, if you identify as a disciple of Jesus Christ, every single one of you here this morning has been given a gift from God. You've been gifted. And Timothy was gifted. And sometimes we have to stir it up. What is it? Exercise it. Let me ask you an honest question. Have you ever gotten a gift from somebody and thought to yourself, this is the worst gift that I've ever received? And then you thought about re-gifting it to somebody else. Come on, don't lie. Okay, so how many of you people actually have done that? How, how, do, you, how do you think the person who gave you that gift feels when it comes back around and they found out that the thing that they put time and energy and money into that you gave it to somebody else? Oh, man, that stinks. You know what we like, some of us like to do is God has gifted us and what we would like to do is re-gift it to somebody else. No, God, they can do it. 
They can take care of it. No, he gave you that gift because he wants you to do it. He wants you to use it. Like the parable of the talents. The one guy buries his talent. He doesn't use it at all. There's no benefit from it in the end when the master returns. Or Christmas was just over. You parents or, or whoever who buys Christmas presents, let's say you got your 13-year-old son this well-thought-out, amazing Christmas present. You got them this massive $500 drone, and you're super excited for him to open it up on Christmas morning, and, and he opens it up, and he's like, oh, it's, cool. it's a cool drone. Thanks, Dad, you know, and he, he takes it over to the fireplace, and he puts it on the, on the fireplace, and, and he walks away, and the whole day goes by. He never opens the box, and then the next day, and then week, and then months go by, and the gift is still sitting there, what would you do? What would you do about that? I beat that boy. No, you can't say that. You can't. It's not allowed. Not allowed these days. What would you do? Well, I'd play with the drone. You know, it's mine now, sucker. Fine. I don't care. Or 500 bucks, take it. You know, return it. Get the money back. Do you know that the Bible says that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable? Do you know what that means? It means that when God gives you a gift, no matter what, he doesn't take it away. It's yours. So this is your responsibility to identify what the gift is. Don't leave it unopened in the box. Stir it up and use it. And let me say this too. If you don't know what your gift is, pray. Ask God, what am I gifted in? What do you have an inclination to do? What do you like? Use it. Stir it up. Number two, uh, chapter one, verses 13 and 14. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Number two, what does he tell Timothy to do? Hold fast. And not just hold fast. He says, hold fast the pattern that was set for you because it was given to you by inspiration of God's word. It's, it's sound, it's firm, it's structured. That's the thing that I love about the Bible. People think that the Bible is super confusing and, and, and hard to understand. It's not super confusing. The problem is that people don't read their Bible and they want to make excuses by saying it's too hard to understand. It's very simple and it's like a pattern. It's very clearly presented. And what we lack many times is the application of what the pattern is. Doing what God's word says. But, but Paul says to Timothy, hold fast that pattern. Don't let it go. And I was talking to Pastor Sean the other day. We went to Bible college together. Been together for almost 20 years. And we were talking about all the people that we know who had fallen away from the faith. And it's so sad. One of the saddest things about being a pastor is to see people fall away from the faith. Just like the parable of the sower said, some seeds were sown and, and, it, and they, it, the, the life was choked out of them because of what? The worries and concerns of this world. I got to make it happen. I got to take care of it. A lack of trusting in God. He says, hold fast, Timothy. Hold fast, don't let go. Remember. Number three, ch 
chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. This is probably my, one of my favorite ones. This is, this is a good one. What does he say? He says, be strong. Be strong in the grace that you've received. In Christ Jesus. And those three examples that he gave, those three things all need strength to do. What was the first example he listed? What was the first example he listed? Soldier. He said, like a good soldier, you got to be strong to be a good soldier. You're going to war, right? Be strong. What was the second thing he listed? An athlete. You got to be strong to be an athlete. You know, hockey is the most amazing sport in the entire world. Can I get a witness? I, I, have, I never enjoyed watching anything as much as I've enjoyed watching hockey. As much as I watched Paul Stastny take a puck to the face last night, knock out three of his teeth, and he's over there bleeding, picking up his teeth off the ice so he can skate off and take him to his dentist. That's a man! <laughs> they would get no sissies crying. The puck in my teeth! I'm going to the locker room! He's picking his teeth up off the ice, and he, the expression on his face like, well, that kind of stinks, huh? Hey, you want to be a disciple of Jesus? You want to follow him? Timothy, brother, sister, you got to be strong. Like, an, like a soldier, like an athlete. What's the third example he used? Like a farmer. You think it's easy? Being a farmer is hard. That's why most country songs are so depressing. You got to be strong and you don't get results immediately. You don't go out and throw some seed on, throw some water on, take your harvest. You got to plow. You got to work. He says, be strong like the farmer. Who the farmer what? The farmer knows what he's going to get. He knows it's going to take time and he's willing to put the work in to get it. Be strong. Because you will reap if you do not lose heart. Number four, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to, ru to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Number four is remind them. Remind them of these things. And this is something that we've discussed before. This is something that we need to be in regular exercise of. 
we have to remind ourselves sometimes, you know, God's word reminds us, but we got to come alongside others and remind them too. Remind them that it's only a season. Remind them that it's only going to last for a short while. Remind them how much God loves them. Remind them of his faithfulness. In fact, that's what he just got done saying before he gets into this. Remind them, back up to verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And you got to tell a brother, brother, you got to tell a sister, sister, you got to remind them. You got you to disciple them. You've got to help them. You've got to bless them. And he says, don't strive about words and no profit to the ruin of its here. Stop talking about things that don't matter. Talk about the things that matter. Number five, going down to verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, excuse me, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Number five, what's number five? Flee also youthful lusts. You know, sin is cyclical. I don't know if you guys understand this, but if you don't repent of sin, if you don't address a sin, it's very highly likely to come up in your life again if you don't deal with a sin issue. And those things kind of are set into action, set into course when we we're young. There's those youthful lusts that we want to give ourselves over to. We're in a very um, interesting sexually active climate these days. I don't know if you guys realize that or you or you see that sex is talked about a lot, sexuality is talked about a lot, and the default to this verse would be sexuality. Um, but it's not only talking about sexuality. This is talking about those youthful lusts, those things that you said that you want that you know that you shouldn't have. That's what a lust is. It's a, it's a I want that thing. And you don't have to be, you know, on the internet going to porn sites. But if you are and you don't address that sin, it'll keep coming up over and over and over again. But you could also be on the realtor sites looking at that big house or on the car sites or on whatever site it takes that you're giving yourself to, you're lusting after and it's stopping you. It's prohibiting you from growing up and, and maturing spiritually. It's causing you to remain in a place that you're not trusting in what God has for you, in his best for you. You're saying that that's what I want and I'm going to make it happen and I'm going to figure it out. And you get stunted there and you can't move past it. Can I tell you that God wants you to be content in the season that he has you in right now? And as a disciple of him, as a follower of him, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Today is sufficient for its trouble. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God, God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Stop lusting after the things of the world. Flee from those things. And you get the picture of Joseph with Potiphar's wife, right? Potiphar's wife is basically forcing, trying to force Joseph to have sex with her. And he so resisted that she had a hold of his tunic and it's ripped off of his body as he's fleeing the other direction. But we have a tendency to just kind of flirt with, you know, the thing that we want. Just an email, started out as an email, started out as a, is an Instagram post, started out as a, as a casual conversation till the next thing you know, you're way over here because you didn't just get out of here, man. I, I can't have any of that. My heart will start going in, 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 in the bad direction, in the, in the wrong direction. Number six, <clears throat> chapter three, verses 10 and 11. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, <clears throat> love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. That persecution, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. What's our sixth point? but you have carefully followed. I think the key word for us there is carefully. We can also use word like intentionality. You know, it takes intentionality on a daily basis to be a good or to be a, a real follower of Jesus Christ. Because the flesh is pulling you in this direction and the spirit is pulling you in this direction. And there's a fight, there's a battle going on and the lusts are still there and the flesh is so wretched and wicked. Why can't I just be a spiritual person? Why, are, why do I have these appetites? Why does my flesh fight me so much? You have to be careful. Carefully follow doctrine, manner of life, purpose, Faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, all those things, being purposeful. I don't know about you, but every day I wake up, I have to be purposeful in my walk with the Lord. And sometimes down to every hour, and you know what, church, I'll be honest, sometimes down to every minute. Because of that pull, because of that battle between flesh and spirit, Purpose, determine. Also, be intentional. Number seven, <clears throat> chapter four, verse one. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Look at this, the imperative. I charge you. Verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
Convince, rebuke, exhort with all love, long suffering, and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What do you say? I charge you? Preach the word. Do you know what we have? The biggest privilege that we have as as believers is that God has spoken to us. He's given us his word. He doesn't even say, it's up to you. Figure it out. Tell people whatever you want. He's told you what to say. He's given you the good news. Don't you want to share the good news with people? Hey, I've got good news for you. This is what God has done. The last thing he says, number seven, he says, right before he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He says, I'm going to die soon. The last thing he says is, is preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. In verse five, but you be watchful in all things. Look for the opportunity, Timothy, to be speaking into people's lives, to be telling them about who I am, to be discipling as a disciple, to be a discipler. As you followed me, as I followed Christ, as we follow him, preach the word. I want to wrap it up looking at those seven points. Again, I know we covered a lot of scripture and I know that um, we did it pretty quickly also. So let's just review, go over them all for the sake of clarity. Number one, stir up your gifts. You've been given a gift from God. Don't leave it unopened on the fireplace because it's, it's irrevocable. He's not going to take it away. He's going to give it to you. And it's up to you whether you decide to bury it because you're, you're a taskmaster, God. You, you plant, you, you, you reap where you didn't plant. Yeah, but, but I still gave it to you, didn't I? And you still didn't do anything with it, did you? Versus the other talents of those guys who received the, the, the gift of God to receive the talent. And they went and invested it and they, they got much fruit from it. Stir up your gift. What is it? If you don't know, ask. Use it. Number two, hold fast the pattern. Don't let go. Keep on going. Know that he said it as a pattern for a purpose so that you could take it, clearly communicate it, and you can also give it to faithful men and women who will go on with it and teach. Number three, be strong like Paul Statsny. Like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer who knows that the increase is coming The harvest will be here. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be in the season, but you're going to get it. Number four, remind them. Be the kind of discipler who is discipling and helping those around you. Supporting, assisting, encouraging. Hey, remember, guys, remember, God is faithful. He, he, He's never left you and he's not going to start now. Number five, flee youthful lusts. Those things that you're toying around with in your head, come on, guys, you know what they are. 
those things that you're toying around, just flee from them. Get rid of them. Make sure that you're not anywhere near them. The, the, the person that knows they're an alcoholic can't go around just hanging out in bars for no reason. Get away from it. Number six, carefully follow those things that you know. Intentional, remembering them and applying them on a daily basis. It's easy to get off track. Number seven, preach the word. Hey guys, you don't have to have your doctorate in, in theology to, to go around and share your faith with people. God's given you gifts. He's given you, uh, he, I hesitate to say it, he's given you a, an experience of who he is. He's revealed himself to you. And, and mainly, the main way he's done that is through his word. Take it and go give it to somebody. I'm going to give you an assignment, okay? You got homework. I want you to read your Bible this week. Every day if you can, but if it's less than that, then that's fine too. And if there's one verse that, that kind of sticks out to you, that kind of speaks to you, that the Lord uses to reveal, I want you to take that verse and I want you to go share it with somebody else. This can be your, it can be your husband, it can be your wife, it can be your friend. I don't care who it is, a coworker. It could be the, the lady behind you in line at the grocery store. And just say, hey, can I say to you, I read this verse in the Bible and my stupid pastor told me I had to share it with somebody. You guys are dead this morning. So I, so I, gotta, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, what do you think this Bible verse means? Or does this bless you? Like when you read this, does this bless you like it blesses me? To preach is just really, it's not to like me preach. I'm a preacher, but it's to... It's to proclaim. It's to let known. It's to share. Would you guys do that? Don't roll your eyes at me. I saw that. All right, that concludes our series on discipleship. Um, I'm going to be gone next week. We fly out tomorrow to um, Germany, Austria, and Croatia. Please be praying for us uh, in the mission trip. The first part, we're going to be doing a... Um, language school, teaching English to people that want to learn English in Zagreb, Croatia. And then the second half of the trip, uh, our team is going to be serving over 100 pastors at a European pastors conference in Austria. So um, we've seen a lot of spiritual warfare over the past couple weeks. Uh, the airline last night at five o'clock tried to change our flight and move it from tomorrow at noon to today at 8 p.m. I was on the phone for four hours getting them to change it back to the original one, and they ended up doing it. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. It's very nonsensical, but it just goes to show that there's some resistance. This is, this is what spiritual warfare around a trip looks like, and we've been seeing it. So please uh, pray for the team. Pray for the pastors at the conference. Pray for the people that we're going to get to do English with in Zagreb. And um, we definitely feel your prayers and appreciate them. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us today. And we, we will say that we do want to be your disciples. We want to follow you, God. We want to know you more. We want to recognize our gifts. We want to stir them up. We want to apply your word to our lives, all those things, God. So we thank you again for speaking to us and We love you. Just 
just for a moment, guys, while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just, you know, the spirit was moving in the first service and and um, just want to give you guys an opportunity to, if if you've gone through this series and now you're at the point where you recognize that, that you want to be a, a better disciple, you understand more what it looks like and and you want to do it and do it well. You want to be strong and, and you want to move forward. But you've kind of been lagging behind. You've kind of not been addressing things the way that you should. But now, going into 2020, you want to do it and you're moving forward. If that's you this morning, could you do me a favor? Nobody, don't be embarrassed. Nobody's looking around at you. Just raise your hand up high in the air so that I can pray for you. So that we can go in that direction this year together as a church family. Anybody else? Nice and high. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you and thank you for their honesty. And, and we want to follow hard after you, God. We know that the harvest is coming. We know that you have good. And we want to submit ourselves fully to that process. So bless these that have responded to you this morning. Encourage them. Remind them that you're faithful because it's who you are. God, we pray that you bless this week. We love you and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.